Welcome to Bite the Orange. Through our conversations, we create a roadmap for the future of health with the most impactful leaders in the space. This is your host, Dr. Manny Fumble. Let's make the future of healthcare a reality together. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bike the Orange. With today, we have a great innovative leader that I met about three years ago at a great event in San Francisco. And I'm very happy to have him on the show. I'm very proud of his accomplishments since we spoke. He's a great innovator and someone that I'm honored to have on the show today. Welcome to the show, Kevin Detner, the CEO of Hurdled Health. Thank you, and thank you for having me. And thank you for the reminder where we first met. I remember that day as if it were yesterday, and it's always so amazing to me how things come full circle. So here we are today. That's right. Something about your company as well, because I lived in Washington, D.C. for a long time before I moved up to New York. When I was there, I never knew about the ecosystem of tech in D.C. itself. I've since found out about all the innovation that takes place in Washington, D.C. But before we begin, for the audience members who are listening that don't know who Kevin Detner is, tell us about you. Who is Kevin? I'm originally from Arkansas. And thought that I spent my career working in public health, there was a time that I prided myself in working on the most pressing public health issues of the day. That meant I spent time in tobacco control. I spent time in childhood obesity. I spent time in HIV AIDS. There was this inflection point in my career where I began to understand and see mental health as a public health priority. And that was more from this professional lens. What I did not know when I was forming that opinion is that I would experience depression myself. After I experienced depression, I looked around and realized that depression was more common than I had imagined and that many of my friends had suffered from depression. And I felt very compelled to try to do something about it, which led to the founding of our company, Hurdle Health. Which is quite interesting, being an African-American man, most an African-American man myself, in the community, it's very difficult for people to talk about these things. To actually identify or say, hey, I'm depressed and I feel this way, right? Because people look at everyone and they feel it's people are very successful, so that how could they have depression? So what gave me that strength and to actually come out and actually talk about this? It's interesting because people often applaud me for having courage or something along that lines. And there are parts of me that are, a bit ashamed to admit, very honestly, that it was not as if I had a lot of courage. My, my depression was so humbling and shifting like to my life that I ultimately got to a place where I had lost all ego and I didn't care what people thought about me. I was just sharing my experience because it was that sad and I was that, that vulnerable. But I think it's also worth mentioning that the first version of our company was focused on serving Black men. In fact, we rebranded the company, but the first version of the company was Henry Health. And the Henry Health came from, and I'm sure you're familiar with the John Henryism construct, and I certainly would encourage all of your listeners to look into the John Henryism construct. But in, in simplicity, what the John Henryism construct argues is that Black men exude a higher level of effort in everyday activities. And ultimately, that effort takes an impact on their health. And that was the thesis of our company is that Black men were struggling in their day-to-day lives and these challenges led to challenges in their mental health. And so we started with that thesis that we needed to find a way 
to destigmatize mental health for Black men. And what I would say is that was before the pandemic. That was before the murder of George Floyd. And those two events, I think, have really caused us to be at a new inflection point, not only in, in terms of how we talk about race and the racial reckoning that we've seen happen in the country, but then number two, in really how we talk about mental health. And for those of us who are in the medical field and in public health field and mental health field, I think that we have to come to terms very quickly with what the legacy of the pandemic, the legacy of the murder of George Floyd will be on our mental health and collectively. We're already starting to see this play out with increases in depression, increases in anxiety, increases in suicide ideation as well as suicide. And for people of color who were already 20% more likely to have mental health problems, 50% more likely to terminate therapy prematurely. These are really critical times that we tweak our mental health care system to make sure that it works for everyone, which is why what we're doing at Hurdle is so important. And I think is the direction that the entire mental health care field must go. Which, which is very interesting. I'm happy you brought that up, Kevin. So now we're talking about, about the Hurdle Health, as you mentioned. So tell us how Hurdle works. Yeah, so we are in our core teletherapy business, but the thing that makes us different is we train our therapists in an evidence-based technique that helps them develop more cultural humility and cultural responsiveness. At Purtle, we face a hard and unfortunate truth. And that truth is that the mental health care system as we know it was not designed for everyone. That we have a system that has literally been designed for middle-class white Americans who have experienced a single trauma. And certainly, I don't want to become too professorial here, but when we understand the history of our mental health care system, the bias, the discrimination that it's been rooted in, and we think about what we're seeing in terms of the increase in treatment seeking behavior among people of color, it is a pressing priority that we make sure we adjust the system with all of its biases, built-in biases to support people of color as they're entering into the system. Uh, which is very interesting. And even outside the mental health space, for example, if I look at I think about diets, right? If you try to have a new diet and sometimes I look at diet plans and they go quinoa, right? Quinoa, I'm African, quinoa is not part of my diet. So I don't understand how that fits into how I relate my meals because it's not personalized to me at my diet and preferences. And so when you go about getting therapists that work in your program, is there some kind of questionnaire? Is there intake? Is there some kind of screening process of the ideal kind of therapist that you're looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, we, all of our therapists are mastered level therapists and we look for therapists with experience in CBT as well as trauma-informed care. But the most important thing is we layer it with our training, which was built by one of our clinical advisors, Dr. Norma Devines, is a professor at Johns Hopkins. And the training is all about cultural humility, and cultural responsiveness. In fact, the training has been certified by the National Board of Counselors. And so when our therapists come on board, we train them in this training. They get a CEU credit for undergoing the training. But more importantly, we offer continuous support 
to our therapist. We have monthly clinical rounds. Our therapist can request clinical consultations. And we are, we're just starting to collect clinical outcome data, but the data is very promising. One, one small fact that I'll share with you is our clients are persisting four times the historical national averages of how long people stay in care. And that is remarkable for people of color because it, it means that they're more likely to complete their care plans, to see positive outcomes. And so we're incredibly excited about what that means, not only for hurdle, but also for the mental health field overall, because that means companies like ours are leading the way and reimagining what mental health care should look like. And more importantly, I know you'd appreciate how therapists are trained. And finally, let me just say one thing, because this is true not only in the mental health field, but it is also true in the public health as well as medical field. We have accepted just some language that I think now we need to start to, to push back against. We have told people that they can become culturally competent. And you just drew out the distinctions about your culture, the food that you want to eat. And like just the notion that even I could proclaim that I'm competent in your culture. Like just let's just take a step back and think about that. Like, why do we embrace that for the last 20 years or so? Like we right. we literally told people that they could take a two-hour, three-hour workshop and walk away and claim culture competency. So that's why we believe at Hurdle. This ideal of culture humility, culture responsiveness is the better way to go. Which is very interesting because I really like your model and how you take, I mean, you have culture first, which goes down to the center of the patient, patient first kind of model, right? You have culture first kind of model where that individual, the care is centered around that individual and you, and you personalize it to them. So you have a very niche angle where you go in. And then not just that, but you have this evidence-based things where you have the hurdle cultural responsiveness training program, which you actually talked about, in addition to a cognitive behavioral therapy, right, CBT, right? So you have that part of it. So it's this scientific-based, evidence-based. I mean, of course, with time, you're looking at outcomes, outcomes, but you have some great numbers, I'm sure in the future, right? my next discussion, we'll be happy to share more of those discussions. But you connect this to build like a best practice. So who are your target? So it was the entry point, right? Because I was quite impressed by looking on the list in a very short time, Kevin, this is what I last spoke of the number of partners you've had. And so up to Oscar, like very fascinating names they applied for Blue Cross Blue Shield, which takes a while to do this. So I'm very proud of you for doing that. Tell us what is the right entry point or how do you sell your business? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I appreciate the way you teed that up. We started out as a D2C business selling directly to consumers. And we still believe that is an important door to keep open. But we all know that in America, healthcare is, a, and the way that most people access healthcare is through their employer. And also that by default means through their payer. So we are selling directly to employers and payers. We work with an employer. Sometimes we have a PEPM and we process claims. Sometimes we're not processing claims and we have a higher PEPM. So there are a couple ways that companies can work with us. There are ways that payers can work more directly with us, because as you alluded to, we do work directly with payers. We have national agreements with Aetna, Cigna, United. We also have delegated credentialing. And, you know, what that means is that there, there are employers who use these um, payers to manage their benefits. We can work directly with them and process claims. And obviously, if people want to 
had the CSS benefit to their employees, they can do the same. Our goal is to make sure that our offering is available everywhere. And there are lots of different ways that people are paying for access to healthcare and mental health services. And so we want to be available to, to work across all of those mediums. But which is fantastic. So let's say I want to do like a traditional case study. So if I am a patient, someone that needs therapy, I go, I download the app. I said, I could go to the app store and download a hurdle, right? And I go in and yeah. I signed up. What does that person so Because I, I like the matching process, but I want you to talk about how you match the individual to the therapist. But then I join and then what happens on your side? A couple of videos that you just played out. So let, maybe let's just play with two of those as a possibility. Oh, okay. Okay. First of all, let's say that you are, you heard this podcast and you're like, that sounds interesting. I need mental health care services. I'm going to go to your website and register. You go to our website, you register, and you're just coming as an individual. And number one, you could pay out of pocket if you wanted to. But also, it is highly likely that we will be in network with the payer who insures you. And so in that way, you go through the registration process, we verify your insurance, we tell you what your copay is, and you can use your insurance as a form of payment. Now, we'll take the second part of your conversation about the matching and so forth in, in, a, in, in a second conversation. But let's, let me give you another scenario. Somebody's listening to this podcast and they're an employer and they decide that they want this available to their employees. And let's just say they use Aetna to manage their benefits. They come and they work directly with us to coordinate an implementation plan to their employees. We agree on probably a lower PEPM and we process claims, but we have a robust implementation plan and we announce the benefit to their employees. Their employees have a special landing page and they go and register. Now, so we've given you two possibilities that people have registered. So what's happening after that? And this is, a, I'm so glad to teach this up because this is really important. In the industry right now, there's a lot of talk about matching. And let me just set the stage about matching. Less than three, four percent of our therapists in their country are people of color. So the idea that we have the capacity to match is a unreasonable expectation, which is why at Hurdle, we argue that cultural humility and cultural responsiveness is a better approach than matching, like making sure that people can support people no matter how diverse they are when they show up, is really where we need to push the industry. I just was on Capitol Hill yesterday talking to members of Congress about our workforce issue. And my hypothesis, it will be 20 years before we resolve these workforce issues. Because we got to, these are long-term pipeline issues. There are a lot of systemic things tied to whether or not a young person decides to pursue psychology. It's not a very high paying field. So if you have people who are trying to figure out how to build wealth and generational wealth, it's just, it's a very hard career to set yourself up for. And to be honest with you, if we're not talking to kids in junior high, we're not going to be setting them up to get in this pipeline. So I just want to be clear about this issue of matching, because I don't want to get derailed here and go down a rabbit hole. This itch, issue of matching is not a feasible thing. So what we do at Hurdle if we use a language pair, we're not using an algorithm right now to pair people with a therapist. People complete a questionnaire. We're looking at it and, and pairing them 
with a therapist, with the experience unique to what they're experiencing in life. And so for us, that means we have a very robust member success team that is literally holding people's head to get them to set. And my goal in this company is, and what we've seen with our clients is if we can get people to their third session, we are very likely to eat to, for them to complete their care plan. So we're trying to make sure we get people to session number three. There's something magical that's happening in session two, three, where that therapeutic alliance is forming, right? That provider right. fit clicks and they go to 10 to 12 sessions after that. The, after they register, they do get access to a mobile app. Our mobile app has daily motivational messages as well as meditations. Right now, that's not available to the public. It's only available to enterprise customers. But at the top of the year, we do plan to make that available to the public. And there will be a free version available for people who are literally even not in therapy. And then there are lots more, but will be behind the paper. Which is quite impressive. You live in Washington, D.C., so I'm sure growing up to Capitol Hill and deal with politics and policy is something you probably gotten used to over time. I still think it's quite impressive getting all these players to buy in because I think that's a particular need, right? In every company, you have this diversity and inclusion kind of discussions that take place. But when it comes to offers of, te- of therapy, like what you like, teletherapy and solutions like Rotary Health, I've hardly filed this and so on. It's enterprises that are there. So I would say anyone listening to this, if you're an employer, you work for a company, please let them know about Rotary Health, right? And the benefits that it brings to the community. Uh, but with that being said, today I went on your website and I was looking at careers. I was like hoping to apply for a job on there. And I see you hiring for therapists. And you have the Rotary Therapist Network. Are those independent therapists or is it like a work on a model where you have like contract in the business or are these therapists hired by work? Yeah, that's a great question. We have a hybrid model, but yeah. we lean more toward on our therapists who are full-time employed with us. And as you heard me talk about our care model, it's really important that we can engage with therapists and support therapists as they're supporting diverse populations. And to kind of take a step back and talk about who some of our clients look like. We're talking about people who have not traditionally accessed therapy, who have historical collective trauma that they're working to heal from. And much of this trauma that people of color are working to heal from and overcome really just became visible to most people after the murder of George Floyd. I I actually was having a talk with a earlier today And I was just talking about how the historians are classifying this period as the racial reckoning, right? The racial reckoning means that some people have now come to understand what many of us have been talking about all the time, that police get behind us and our heartbeats increase, right? Or that when we go to the water cooler, we have to deal with microaggressions and what we know science-wise that multiple microaggressions over a period of time become the equivalent of a traumatic event, right? So we're now bringing people into therapy who are processing these experiences. And I think, you know, that in itself, a remarkable place for us to be in the mental health care system, that we're we're now helping people like heal from like these deep-seated wounds in our country. And if there are employers who are out there listening who've made DE&I commitments, what better way to honor your commitment to your employees than making sure that you have 
a benefit that speaks to all employees. Like that, that's the thing about our offering is that it is a benefit that speaks to all employees because the ideal of cultural humility, the ideal of cultural responsiveness is not an ideal for Black people. Yeah, I don't think it's a better way to explain that. But with that being said, I don't want us to wrap up without saying this has been like smooth sailing, right? Like, I'm sure there have been some challenges. So what has been like the biggest bottleneck right along this journey that you've been on? I think I actually feel guilty saying this because I've been so fortunate. When you lead a venture-backed company and always worried about, I got to raise more money. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and we know less than 2% of venture capital goes to minority founders, which is why I put that caveat out about it very early saying, I feel guilty acknowledging this because I know that there are so many others who have brilliant ideas who probably are much, much more smarter than I am, right? Whose ideas are dying on the grapevine because they can't get their ideas funded. But we struggle. I wish I didn't have to raise money. I wish I could just put my head down and work on a solution, but that's not how this works. I do have to pour energy into fundraising. What I will tell you, and I really just wanted to say this earlier, you talked about how payers have responded. I will tell you, I have been in public health conversations all of my career. The turn I saw in the payer community around health equity and health disparities around after the death of George Floyd deserved to be written about and deserve to be celebrated. Like payers have really stepped up and said, what can we do differently? We now are willing to acknowledge, and you're a physician, you know this, we're now willing to acknowledge the elephant in the room. What can we do differently? And I just want to come in. We obviously work with a lot of payers, but I just think that they deserve a lot of credit for finally coming to terms with these issues around health equity and help the spares. This is fascinating. I know no better way to wrap up the show. Thanks a lot, Kevin, for having you on board. I would love to check in with you in the, sh- in the near future to see how things are going there. But if you listen, you're there, you're an investor, and we have venture, obviously, you know, listeners as well. Let's make Kevin's life easy. I think he's done a fantastic job. He's a fantastic human. I spent a lot of time with him to talk. I end up visiting you soon in DC, Kevin. Thank you for welcome on the show. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bite the Orange. If you want to change healthcare with us, please contact us at info at emmanuelfambu.com or you can visit us at emmanuelfambu.com or bitetheorange.com. If you like this episode and want more information about us, you can also visit us at emmanuelfambu.com.